This is a Squeeze podcast. We're your shortcut to being informed. This week, our podcast is brought to you by BHP. Reducing greenhouse gas emissions in the production of copper is critical. That's why BHP has committed to solar, wind and battery agreements to help power their copper mine at Olympic Dam in South Australia. It's happening now at BHP. Visit bhp.com critical to find out more. The Weekly Wrap is the week in news and what's coming up. I'm Kate Watson. And I'm Claire Kimball. We're opening the podcast today with some very important news about ourselves. Yeah, indulgent, I know. <laughs> um, it's about us. Matters to you, though. Really matters to you because, Claire, from next week, this show will no longer be available on this channel. <laughs> I'm glad you added the on this channel thing. We're not cancelling the show. No, it's still no. going to be available, but yes. just not on this channel. Yeah, so it's going to be available on the newly named podcast feed called News Club. Yeah, and the reason we're going to make you go through all the hassle of finding this podcast on another feed is because we're going to be doing more shows together, Claire. So from 2024, Weekly Wrap will be joined by a new show called News Club. Yeah, and we'll tell you more about that over the course of the coming weeks. But all you need to know for now is that the Weekly Wrap will be available on the channel called News Club. You just need to follow that channel so you'll get alerts when the weekly wrap drops. You do. A link to that show is in your episode notes. It's also easy to just search for News Club in your podcast app and hit follow. Now the news. Let's talk about the news. Today we get into the Lehrman defamation trial against Network 10 and journalist Lisa Wilkinson. Yeah, we're going to be talking about a letter signed by a handful of Australian journalists on the reporting on Israel and Gaza and why so many Thai nationals were taken hostage. We've also got a triumphant story of survival. This one is high up on the good news stories for 2023 list. Claire recommends is not something edgy and current, but a film from 2013, in fact. (laughs) Let's do it. Most clicked link this week was to an amazing football goal. But you know what? Unless you see it, Claire, it's boring to chat about. (laughs) So I think we just move on. All right, let's do that. Straight into it? Yep, let's do it. (laughs) The Lemon defamation trial, let's go. Okay, so... Of course, let's just start by setting it up, what it is. Uh, This is the defamation case brought by Bruce Lerman, who's a former Liberal staffer. He was accused of raping his colleague Brittany Higgins in Parliament House back in 2019. And this defamation case against Network 10 and the project host Lisa Wilkinson was instigated by Lerman. He says that they defamed him in an interview with Higgins that didn't name him. I think a good place to start on this one, um, particularly for those who listen to the podcast very regularly and particularly the Squiz Today podcast, is that we didn't actually cover it this week, Claire. Talk us through that decision. Yeah, look, it is something that we really did want to cover off because it is a good question why we Mm. did what we did in terms of the Squiz Today. And I'm sure some listeners have probably wondered the same thing. Mm. Um, The answer is that court cases can be quite tricky for us to cover. There are headlines every day. Because once you get notable people in the same place talking about a huge issue, it just makes news. Mm. For our part, when a lot of the info isn't new or it doesn't move the story on significantly, because we're so short form as well, we kind of find it better to pick our moments and then bring it together and then try to help you make sense of it. A little snapshot into Claire's news brain (laughs) there. It was like that in the Ben Robert Smith 
defamation case. The Chris Dawson case was a similar one. Johnny Depp, Amber Heard, so many that have been big in recent times. We're here now though, and I guess this is where the weekly rap really comes into its own. We get a chance to really go into these stories in a way that we don't get to on Squeeze Today. Yeah, I think the hint's in the name. We wrap it up. We wrap it up. Make sense of it all together in one piece. So Let's talk about the process. And I reckon the place for us to start is just to explain a little bit about that because what's happening is important. It's just understanding it, why we're hearing evidence like this about the alleged rape. Yeah. So this isn't a criminal trial. I think many listening would know that, but this isn't actually about whether the rape happened or not, although it kind of is, and we'll get into that. Yeah. Um, that was launched, that criminal trial was the one that was launched in Canberra and it ended in a mistrial. So plenty listening will know that story. It's worth pointing out there has not been a determination in a criminal case about the allegation that Bruce Lemon raped Brittany Higgins. So that that hasn't been resolved. So he wasn't found guilty or innocent. Mm-hmm. It's sort of out there now yep. in the ether as it is. Um, so this is a civil case. No one's going to jail mm-hmm. as a consequence of it. Um, it's a defamation case and that means that there are rules that are different about how things sort of play out and what winning looks like as well in this case. Defamation's about reputation yep. in, in a nutshell, yeah. about things that have been said by different parties that could be seen to damage someone's reputation or standing. In this case, as you said at the top, Bruce Lehrman says he was defamed by Lisa Wilkinson and her employer, Network 10. And to the specifics of this case, the nub of it is about what was said on the project The question is whether it was defensible. Mm -hmm. That's what defamation cases are there to test. Lerman says that Higgins' allegation that he raped her isn't true. He's consistently maintained that position. Network 10, though, says, we reckon we can defend what was put to air because what we said, what we put to air, was true. Yeah, and this is where we get to what I referred to earlier in that it isn't a criminal case, but there is a lot of talk about what happened that night. Discussing the truth of it. The truth of it. So Harriet Alexander from the SMH and the Age wrote a piece on this after Thursday's proceedings. The opening line really grabbed me. I sent it to you. It said, for a defamation trial, this was beginning to look a hell of a lot like a rape trial. Yeah. And that's because on that particular day, Brittany Higgins had spent another full day talking about the incident Mm. and going through exactly in very fine detail what she says happened. Um, There's another observation from Harriet Alexander that I thought was really good too. She says the hearing has essentially become a sexual assault trial held to a civil standard of proof. Yeah, so just explain that because I feel like it's going to come up a lot in the coming weeks. This is going to run for weeks and weeks. Yeah, yeah. So what she's referring to there, that civil standard of proof, means that the judge just needs to believe that on the balance of probability abilities, something did or didn't happen. The bar is significantly lower than a criminal trial when it comes to establishing truth. Um, A finding of guilty in a criminal trial is Mm. about being beyond a reasonable doubt. That's right. So the other thing that's different here is the court proceedings are live streamed. So anyone can watch. Isn't it wild? It's, it's crazy. I think in that article she said something like 30,000 people were live streaming. At, at um, peak times, yeah. At, at peak times. That can't happen in a criminal trial. No, it certainly can't. Mm. It feels very American to be able to watch this, particularly these sorts of allegations go to air mm. free to everyone to see. Yeah, it's on YouTube if anyone is interested. Of course, this was the first time Bruce Lemon had actually given his account in a courtroom. He didn't do that in the criminal trial. Also, Claire, Lisa Wilkinson's going to give evidence. Yes, exactly right. So many, many more headlines to come Mm. and not just Lisa Wilkinson either. Um, Network 10 says that it's got 20 witnesses in its defence. 
seven former colleagues of the pair, um, two security officers who were on duty at Parliament House that night, three police officers, a rape crisis counsellor, Higgins' mother and father, and three expert witnesses. So much more to come. As I said, the trial's set to run for another few weeks. Claire, this week has been filled with weather chat. It was fires, then it was floods. It's summer in Australia. Oh, yeah. And a shout-out to squizzes in any of those affected areas this week, particularly the south coast of New South Wales, Deniliquin mm. in New South Wales southwest. It's part of my old stomping ground. Um Parts of Victoria and Queensland were slammed by those supercell storms too. Yeah, we were only last week talking about fires in WA. Yeah. Of course, we also want to acknowledge the continuing news around the Israel-Gaza conflict. This week was a focus on the temporary ceasefire and hostage releases, a hugely emotional week for many, many people. As I was reading about all of this, lots of talk of Thai nationals. So I had a look into it and found the largest group of foreign nationals, some reports say 30, some say 54, numbers in all of this are really, really tricky, mm. but they are from Thailand. Thai nationals also make up the largest group of foreigners killed by Hamas during that October 7 attack. Obvious question was why? Yeah, so just to give squizzes an insight into Kate's process, it kind of looks like having a bit of a read of things, screwing up your face a bit, going, what is that all about? <laughs> you actually you actually didn't know I either. The, you, no, you I sort of the said, same oh, question. Really like, sure. I think there's a bunch of them working there. Yeah. Anyway, um, yeah, wondering exactly the same thing. Israel gets a lot of its workers from abroad. That's not uncontroversial, but we won't go down that route today. Mm. Um, reports say that more than 30,000 migrant workers from Thailand are employed in Israel's agricultural industry. The Thai government said that about 5,000 were in that conflict zone along the Gaza Strip border. And then once you start Googling this and looking into it and reading news reports, you start learning more about how they were actually mm. able to secure their release. So the Thai government worked closely with Iran to secure the release of hostages. An account by the lead negotiator is in your episode notes if you want to take a look. It's an interview with Sky News. It goes through how they negotiated, what the conditions were, or at least that question is asked. Whether we know the answer to that is another thing. It's really worth a look. And just a nod to the mention there about the fact that they work with Iran on that. Mm. We haven't really spoken much about Iran's link to what's happening in this conflict for a while, but let's just bookmark that for another time. Okay, done. Agreed. <laughs> that aside, we wanted today to give listeners also a bit of insight into what's going on inside some of our newsrooms around the reporting of the Israel-Hamas conflict. This is pretty insider, Claire, but I think uh, we've got curious news consumers mm. listening to this podcast. We're curious news consumers. So we aren't inside newsrooms, but we read all the insider stuff. And this week there was a letter that really set the cat amongst the pigeons. It sure did. So this was an open letter that was signed by, I think, more than 300 Australian journalists and others in the media in yeah. connected to news outlets. Um, so producers, editors, et cetera, they Photographers, signed, yeah, you know, yeah, like yeah. it's not just journalists but, yeah. you know, news people, exactly. media people. Mm. And this letter was titled, Please Sign the Below Letter to support ethical reporting on Israel and Palestine. It's really long, that letter. We'll mm. put a link to it in your episode notes so you can have a read if you choose. By many it was interpreted to be demanding that the Australian media treat the information from the democratically elected government of Israel the same as Hamas, a terrorist organisation. Yeah, and just to give you a flavour of it, as you say, it is quite long, but this is probably a critical point. Mm. Um, it reads, we, journalists from across the Australian media landscape, 
call on Australian newsrooms to undertake these steps to improve coverage. The letter then lists eight steps ranging from calling for journalists to, and this is the quote, uh, apply as much professional scepticism when prioritising or relying on uncorroborated Israeli government and military sources to shape coverage as is applied to Hamas and to just provide some context, I guess, um, also when referencing the October 7 Hamas attacks on Israel. Claire, we have journo mates we work in media, many have responded with despair as what this letter does is imply the coverage hasn't been adequate. That's what the editor of The Guardian, Lenore Taylor, said. She has over 20 reporters who have signed this letter. She said she's concerned it could be perceived as raising questions about our reporting, even if that's not the intention. Nine's editors were far more strident. Yeah, in their response to their journalists signing that letter, they Mm. sure were more strident about it. Um, Their editors said... Anyone who signs the letter would be banned from reporting on the conflict. Um, ABC, have a look at them. Um, The director of news there is Justin Stevens. He also addressed it. He said, signing this petition may bring into question your ability to cover the story impartially. Impartiality has really become the talking point of this letter and the point is that they're making is that by signing it, you could be seen as being anti-Israel. Yeah, it goes to the heart of the debate of what journalism is and should be. Many journalists, as I said, despair at the need for this letter, at the idea they aren't doing their job well enough, and in turn, despair at the state of journalism, Claire. Yeah, and for their part, those who support it say that these are perfectly fine questions to ask. It's perfectly fine to put on the record that they're calling for a look at the sources. Um, They also say that trips taken by journalists and media executives to Israel over the years should be out in the open and considered in all of this. When you say trips, you mean sponsored trips. Sponsored trips. Sponsored trips trips by the Israeli government. Big questions, the role of media, the job of journalists. I think we've just planted that one there for listeners to take to the (laughs) dinner party tonight. Have a read of it and see what you think. It's just such an interesting part of the discussion around all of this. Yeah. The final point in this segment, though, is heartwarming as they come. It's the tale of Arnold Dix, Claire, but it's actually not the tale of him. We'll get to him. It's the tale of 41 Indian workers who were trapped in a collapsed tunnel for 17 days. Yeah, so let's talk about them first before we get to your mate Arnold, who you're quite taken (laughs) by. I am really taken by (laughs) Arnold. (laughs) So a landslide caused a blockage at the entrance of a tunnel. This was in northern India. That happened on the 12th of November. No one was injured. They were doing really well for what the situation was, but they were stuck. They ended up surviving on oxygen that was piped through the rubble. There was quite a big effort to make that happen. And they had dry food sent to them through a 15 centimetre wide pipe. Like and when you talk numbers like that, you, like, you kind of easily can just glaze over them, but like a 15 centimetre yeah, wide pipe. Yeah, just picturing pipe. it. Yeah. yeah, it is remarkable. 60 metres of rubble they had to drill through to get to them. In the end, they were pulled through another number, 90 centimetre steel pipe to get them out. So they were sort of wheeled through that. It's an awesome story. Arnold Dix, yep. an engineering Tell professor. Us about him. Tell you. us about Arnold. <laughs> I think I'm not the only one captured by Arnold. Um, he's an engineering professor. He's president of the Geneva based International Tunneling and Underground Space Association. Wow. What? So that's the ITUSA. Yeah, I guess. I don't know if they, I didn't hear him, like, I don't know, maybe they have a nickname or something. He was asked asked to help. Let me get to Arnold. Stop interrupting me. (laughs) He was asked to help. He was choppered in as part of a team. It wasn't just him, but as part of a team, he brought all these men out of the rubble to their families, emotional stuff. I heard him saying, Claire, 
on um, on the ABC, I think somewhere, that Aussies are good at cricket, but we're also great at tunnelling. And he, you know. <laughs> Look, I've been taken by Darcy Moore and yeah, Andrew true. Ridgely and so yeah. many others. You're, if your guy's Andrew Dix, that's cool. Arnold Dix. Arnold. Thank you, pardon. <laughs> what did I call him? Andrew. Andrew. <laughs> if your guy's Arnold Dix, then that's fine. He's a bit of a character. I'll finish with this. He spoke so warmly of the team that helped to do this. On 3AW, I heard him describe himself and his tunnelling colleagues as nerdy, nice kind of people. And if you need a (laughs) dose of good news this week, this is definitely it. Coming up next week, tonight we have the WBBL final, Adelaide Strikers, Brisbane Heat, Adelaide Oval, 7-ish o'clock. And then tomorrow night we have the AFLW final, North Melbourne's first AFLW grand final against Brisbane. It's their fifth appearance. They've only won once. Yeah, and you reminded me earlier this week that on grand final weekend for the NRL and the AFL, they were all Brisbane teams competing in that and they all lost. They so all lost. It's not been good for Brisbane, so fingers crossed for them in the AFLW. Um, <laughs> and the WBBL. And the WBBL. Are you actually going for Queenslanders? Well, look, I'm, I'm, I don't have this big chip on my shoulder as a New South Wales person. About Queensland. About Queensland. Yeah. Like, good luck to them. Yeah, all the very best. You know who isn't having much luck, Claire? Well, look, that's the netballers. So, Kate, <laughs> take Take to the court. Oh, they, ca- they catapulted into the headlines. We've actually talked about this one before and we're always proud of ourselves when we flag something early. Oh, and you're it becomes, on it. Yeah, Well, absolutely. I'm a big fan, as people yeah. know. Um, it's been brewing for ages. Last weekend, the Netball Awards happened. On the morning of the awards, Netball Australia sent a letter to the Diamonds players, so our national team, saying they were legally obligated to attend. They threatened legal action if they didn't. That's because a whole heap of players boycotted the awards over this ongoing pay dispute. Yeah, and you hear the phrase pay dispute and you think, okay, they're in negotiations. But the players have been off contract. They haven't got an arrangement. Mm. It's been two months now. They've had no income. No income at all. It's really, really messy. And remember the cricketers chipped in and said that they would help, help them, them financially, out. the cricket players. Yeah. It's been quite a thing. It has. What the administ- – and I mean it- – <laughs> It's actually hard to find out what each party want, like Mm. honestly, when you're looking around going, okay, what do Mm. they want? But the nub of it is the administration have offered this week some of what the players have asked for, so that includes a pay increase. The part missing is the revenue share models that the players call a partnership model, so they want a cut of any sponsorship revenue. Netball Australia wants to kick that can down the road because they say there's very little appreciation from the playing group for the dire financial situation the sport finds itself in. And tell me, do they really have any big sponsorship deals? They have some. They've got well, they're the origin. They have some, diamonds, but we've been they? through. We've been through the Gina Reinhardt yeah. debacle. Um, but it's about the future, and they obviously want those sorts of partnerships to firm up the financial status of the game. And I mean, yeah. it's hard to know who's in the right and who's in the wrong. Mm. But all we know is it's very, very messy. And Netball Australia also has lost some government funding this week. Oh, wow. So, yeah, what a week. Um, The government put its hand up this week and said there's about $18 million in funding that's set aside for the sport. Netball Australia hasn't actually fulfilled what the government needs to make them feel confident that the funding would be spent well. Yeah, so it's going into a pool for women's sport. Netball can bid for some of that money, but they're certainly not going to get the full amount. We're recording this before the Players Association and Netball's administration meets. They're meeting today. There may be a resolution. By the time you're listening, there may not be, but all in all, a big week. What for a netball. cliffhanger that is. Oh, well, <laughs> exciting stuff. <laughs> 
Moving on, National Cabinet meets next week. Anything to know about that? Oh, look, there's so much going on. Education, health, like it's just the usual infrastructure, round of big stuff, mm. tax arrangements. There's been quite a bit this week about GST. Mm-hmm. Uh, the states obviously want more share of GST. Jim Chalmers is saying, our treasurer is saying, you've got enough. So <laughs> no need to renegotiate any of that. National Cabinet's just such an interesting forum that it's still going after COVID and COVID. they're having these discussions. Yeah, so it's the federal government meeting with the state governments and the territories. Yeah, yeah, it's exactly. the territories as well. Um, Jim Chalmers. Yes. Does Jim Chalmers attend National Cabinet? I think when he gets co-opted. Yeah. I don't think he's got a standing invite, but I think he's allowed. Jason Clare doesn't attend National Cabinet. No. He is the education minister. Maybe he does get co-opted too. Oh, he might. But the reason I'm sort of wanting to talk about Jason Clare. Clare, (laughs) I'm not making this easy for you. No, you're not. I'm trying to get there. Is that Jason Clare is visiting a school this week and we know that because we invited him. He's the education minister. Federal um, education minister. The federal education minister to um, watch kids in action learning our NewsHounds media literacy program. This is so exciting for us. It is. Yeah. So we're talking to the government quite a bit at the moment about making NewsHounds, our media literacy course, bigger and better and Mm. give it some real oomph because it's a very important issue. Of course, mis and disinformation and making sure our kids have the tools to become critical consumers of media. This school visit is showing our federal education minister what it's all about and we really hope that he's very impressed by it. Big shout out to Bryce Corbett and the team at Squeeze Kids who are facilitating that visit. Should we mention interest rates? Yes. Okay, so it's a rates announcement on Tuesday. Yeah, I'm not that excited about this one. I don't think it's going to happen. The economists don't think it's going to happen. I think we can just chill out a bit for Christmas. Okay, and they don't meet again until February, so if you need your fix, it's your last chance for a while (laughs) if you do want to get into it. 2.30 Tuesday. Got it. Claire, Christmas season is upon us. It is. With thanks to Woolworths, over the next few weeks, we'll be talking through what makes this time of year special for squizzes. Yep, plenty of you, like 1,500 of you, mm. recently took the time to complete a survey about exactly that. So over the next few weeks, we're going to be sharing some of what you told us. They're heartwarming, some are a bit quirky. There's a few consistent themes. A lot of people watch Love Actually. A lot of people are also gifted new (laughs) pyjamas. I understand that. That seems to be a thing. (laughs) A lot of people drink nice champagne. My hand is firmly up for that. Um, Lots go to church and some, like this one I'll read out, are a bit unique. We watch Lord of the Rings, all movies, back to back. Breakfast is always ham toasties. <laughs> I really enjoyed that. I also enjoyed this one. Allowing myself the once a year treat of Nutrigrain for breakfast and sometimes dinner throughout December. Wow. <laughs> I'm just going to park that there. I really like that one. Um, Of course, some don't celebrate Christmas. Some have to work. Overwhelmingly, though, the responses featured family and food. Yeah. Any Christmas traditions you have yourself, Claire? Look, it's just usually for me chilled out time with friends and good champagne as I've mentioned before. Uh, I'm pretty low-key at Christmas. You'll like this comment from the survey, I reckon. I stay home, eat cheese, drink bubbles, read and binge watch a saved TV show. Yeah, that's amazing. Kate, what about you? Uh, As far as the little things, each year I was thinking about this, my mother-in-law gives us a new Christmas decoration for the tree. It's a bit of a tradition and it's really sweet. We'll finish by saying that Woolworths has plenty of what you need to make your Christmas season special. Some ham for those toasties, Mm. perhaps. A link to Woolworths Christmas is in your episode notes. Squeeze recommends Claire. I watched Cliffy 
mm. this week. And I told you that I watched it and you said, that's a great story. Yeah, it's a terrific story. Um, I'll let you tell the story first. Oh, okay. Well, I mean, it's about Cliff Young. Yep. The Cliff Young shuffle is a very famous it's, Australian phrase. It's not just how I jog. If it's I all- ever jog, I do the Cliff Young <laughs> shuffle. And younger people look at me like, what is she talking about? But now you can say. Now I know. So this is from 2013, as I said in the headlines, uh, this movie. It's a great Australian story. In 1983, Cliff Young, a potato farmer, decided he was going to do the Sydney to Melbourne ultra marathon. He won it. And he's quite older. 61. Yeah. He's 61. <laughs> and it's just the story of that. Um, it's got all of the faces, you know, the Aussie actors and actresses that are great and funny and, you know, the Stephen Currys of the world and all of those. Yeah. And um, I really enjoyed it and it's also a story I wasn't super familiar with and I feel like I'm a little more informed now. Yeah, so that was 1983. 1983. You, you reminded yeah. me. Yeah. So and as I told Kate, I'll tell everyone, <laughs> I was a kid in those days in year three, yeah. yes, public school. Yes, public school was on the old Hume Highway. Well, it was the Hume Highway then. Yeah. Uh, and it went past. Cliff went past. So we all stood out the front. Because by that point he was probably winning. Oh, yeah. It was a yeah. huge event. Like yeah. the Sydney to Melbourne marathon in those days was massive. Massive, massive, massive. So it is a really great story. It's on ABC iView um, if you want to check it out. The other thing, Claire, I guess on recommends, um, and I don't even know if we need to recommend this, mm. um, Spotify Wrapped has mm. been a whole thing this week. What were your top five songs? Oh, I won't go into that. That's all a bit too embarrassing. <laughs> 80s music. <laughs> Taylor Swift, 80s, Taylor 90s. Swift? Oh, yeah, yeah, okay. yeah, for sure. Yeah. I listened to Midnight's a lot this year. Yeah, okay. It sort of came up. Um, the thing I found probably the most tickling was in the recommended playlists based on my listening the top recommendation was a playlist called Spring Cleaning. <laughs> I think that's quite appropriate. Isn't that hilarious? <laughs> <laughs> they know you so well. So well. Yeah, Taylor Swift was also my number one. Had a bit of Morgan Wallen for yeah. people who know country okay. music. Sadly, Meryl Streep was in my top five because of my daughter is really into Mamma Mia the musical. So that just makes my ears bleed. She's not even, even a thinking singer. about I it. I know, it's ridiculous. But anyway, Spotify wrapped. If you haven't checked yours out, jump into Spotify and do so because it is quite entertaining. Squeeze Press, we've talked uh, about the changes, Claire. We'll just recap on that. Weekly Wrap will now be in the News Club feed. If you haven't already, unlock your phone screen, type in News Club into Apple Podcasts or Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts please, and hit follow. Please do that. Please do that. That would just make <laughs> Look, it's Christmas, it's December. We've all got a lot to do. Just do that thing for us. It'll make everyone's lives easier. Let's move on from that. I think it's going to be really exciting. News Club next year as well with all the extra stuff we're going to be doing. So it's a good channel to be plugged into. Yeah, we really can't wait. Just tick that job off your list. Thanks as always for listening to The Weekly Wrap and we'll be back next week. <laughs>